Hello and welcome to Room Escape Divas, your podcast on everything escape rooms. Today, I'm super excited. I don't know about anybody else, but we are going to talk about the sins against mimesis. Crimes against mimesis. Well, actually, in the interactive fiction world, they call it sins against mimesis. Oh, okay. So that, you know, because crimes against mimesis apparently is the name of the essay. essay. Yeah, that's Actually, I could I... be wrong. They just Oh, so it's it actually just a practice. Anyway. I don't know. I have no idea. What's your name? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't go woo. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! We we only have two traditions. I know. <laughs> My name is Errol. I'm Amanda. I'm Ruby. And I'm Escape Person Number Four. Wow, he didn't like pause. I was expecting a pause. He did pause. There was, there was a little bit of a pause. There was a lot. Actually, there was more pause with Ruby, but that could. I thought that was just more Skype. Mm-hmm. What? I wasn't pausing. No, no, I think it is just a Skype thing. Regardless, hello, everybody. Welcome again as we talk about escape rooms. Yes. Today's topic is interesting because I mentioned it last week, and then I don't think anybody took me seriously. I took it seriously. I didn't even know what tonight's topic was. I did. <laughs> yeah, because you kept messing up the word, and then we had like that five minutes of, okay, what is he talking about? He's not saying <laughs> what he's talking about. <laughs> I said that on the bus to him, too. And he was like, woo. <laughs> and then, of course, I think we have another question that we need to answer. So we will do that at the end with our we're, pick, we're keeping up with our traditions. Yes. That started last. That's last, last week. podcast. Yes. We're doing well. Anyway, the reason I'm bringing this up now is because I think it was about a month ago. So it's super late. People were talking about a number of terms and like diegetic and mimetic and I thought it would be great to talk about that in this podcast. However, before we get to it, we are not espousing the idea that this is how escape rooms should be. Or especially that all escape rooms should be. Like. Or that mm-hmm. this is a better way for that matter. Yeah. It's just that it is it is an interesting topic and some escape rooms may decide they want to do this and we haven't even explained it yet so what is mimesis (laughs) (laughs) let's explain that oh sounds good did you want to explain it man pants no if you have a definition in front of you that'd probably be better well i think the interactive fiction wiki says mimesis is the means by which an artist creates a recognizable pleasing representation of something in the real world there you go that sounds right Yeah, mimesis involves showing in contrast to diegesis, which is telling. So, back in the day, in 1996, there was an essay written for all the interactive fiction fans out there. They may be familiar with this, and it was called Crimes Against Mimesis. It's an essay written written by Roger, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Jainer Sorola, and it was posted in... (laughs) What? That's how. <laughs> Is that not how you say his name? I, I don't, don't know. think so. <laughs> Looks more like Jinner. Jinner? Yeah. I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know. No, you could be right. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's like it was complicated. And it was posted in several parts to rec.arts.int-fiction. I think I was even part of that news group long time ago, but I can't remember. Anyway. 
It has to do with elements of game narrative that break the believability of the story presented in the game. So that's what the Crimes Against Mimesis is. How does this relate to escape rooms? And I'm not so interested in diegesis. I'm okay. probably more interested in mimesis. Okay. And the thing is, how that pertains is that when we do an escape room right now, escape rooms don't really make sense because you don't, you don't normally go into your office and have all these padlocks on your cabinets, right? On your on your bag, on your suitcases, and it's openable by sorting the books in alphabetical order on your bookcase, right? right? No, nobody does that in the real world. Unless Maybe you're a kooky you have... teacher or librarian, <laughs> <laughs> possibly. But then after a while, you know, we can't even. We sometimes forget our password, and so if we leave clues like that, I mean, so I have seen. A place where they put the password underneath the keyboard. That kind of makes sense. That's where you'd put a password. Yeah, right? yeah. But usually it's you have to solve some weird problem in order to get the password. Right. Like look at random notes on the walls that somehow all provide a part of the password. Mm -hmm. and Or uh, finding... <laughs> yeah, like you said, finding several books that would contain parts of the password. Rather than somebody like me who's stupid and just writes it on a post-it note and puts it on their computer, you know. <laughs> and we have referred to puzzles like this or doing such puzzles in a room as like escape room logic. Yeah. Where it wouldn't really make sense in the real world, but hey, we're playing a game. And so we are going to go in here and we're going to solve all these puzzles and solve it as quickly as we can and have all sorts of fun. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, it is a game and we do like solving puzzles. So... Going back to my original statement, we are not trying to say that escape rooms must be uh, mimetic. Right. We're not trying to say that is the better way to do an escape room. But it is an interesting way to attempt if you want to try something different. Yeah. We actually did do an escape room that tried to be mimetic. Right. Hmm. So ra rather than solving puzzles, you were more solving problems. And sometimes those problems took the form of a small puzzle. But otherwise, we had to more use real world logic to try and figure out how to get out of situations. And it was pretty cool because it felt more like an adventure game. So instead of finding a Sudoku on the wall, here we <laughs> actually had to try and figure out how do we open up this lock or how, or how do we open up this vent or different things like that and right. i don't want to get into any kind of spoilers but for the most part i think it successfully solved it successfully tried to stay away from any sins of Miss mimesis i don't know what do you think mike and ruby i'm trying to figure out what room you're talking about <laughs> know which one he's talking about did it involve we weren't allowed to break glass oh the one where there was strenuous activity and i had boots gotcha yes, yes. that yeah. was revo escape i mean and that's another thing too the problem with us being able to do anything because i kind of said that at the beginning is that we might think oh we want to get in here why don't we just break down the door right and yeah <laughs> Which would make sense in the real world if we desperately wanted to get somewhere, we would just break the door down. Now, to be fair, I don't think I can do any door breaking in any sense. But we could break glass mm -hmm. if there happened to be a window. However, that was one aspect, which, which makes sense. Because even in adventure games, there is that 
that sense that you don't go around breaking everything. It does It does raise a good question, is that the more mimetic, I guess, you would make a room, the more sense everything makes, does that open up the possibility of players trying all sorts of things to solve, like, to solve the puzzles in the room, as opposed to, like, knowing that... Knowing in, with escape room logic, you can probably depend that there's a cryptic clue lying on a wall or in a desk somewhere. Whereas, say, you know, if um, if we had to get into a desk, would we look for a key or would we yank with all our might to open up that desk drawer? That's a extreme example of it, but like... Or do we find an alternative way to get into the desk? Yeah. Or do we find an alternative way to get into the desk? Do we crowbar it? Do we... <laughs> Whatever, I, I doubt that they would have a crowbar in there <laughs> to, to to be available. But you know, just as an example, like, do we pick the lock? Do we pick the lock? Right. Mm-hmm. Somebody there might be a lock picker. So yeah, that's probably know. a better example than crowbar. And the gray area with this though, between the escape room world and something that's mimetic, that I think is that an escape room world may see a whole bunch of objects eventually as like red herrings versus a mimetic thing. Uh, as you're saying, Errol, that uh, there could be multiple solutions. So crowbar may be there to crack open the desk, but you might not be able to use that crowbar. You're supposed to use the key that's sitting right beside it. So crowbar is red herring. (laughs) (laughs) But if we go through this essay, so let's take a look at this essay. It's uh, a really cool essay, actually. And as I said before, this is interesting because they cover topics way back in 1996 that are still being discussed now, even within escape rooms. So, like, uh, the first part, it talks about the narrative and how the narrative should be cohesive and also structured mimetically. Is that a word? I don't know. Mimetically? <laughs> yeah, we're going to make up I all sorts it, of words. I guess it should be. I this guess is we when should have asked Scott non-academics so <laughs> attempt to explain academic terms. Oh boy, oh, we're gonna get so that's, many emails it's more about fun this. That way. Yeah. What are you talking about? Uh, the first, the first point that he has about there are three crimes uh, against mimesis within adventure games and text adventures, and one is objects out of context. Right. I love this. The ex- also works in escape rooms as well, if you ask me. Yeah. I mean, because the the thing we normally talk about objects out of context are laser organs in Egypt. Yeah, <laughs> I love the example. I love the example he uses actually, which is finding a chainsaw on a kitchen table, uh, like wandering into a room, and and there's like there's there's no reason that someone would put a chainsaw on a table. Chainsaws don't belong on tables. And I liked the way he solved the problem. It was like there's two couple, few ways to solve the problem. One is to put the chainsaw somewhere where it makes sense, like a shed. But the other one he brought up was like, what if you put like a plate of breakfast and a checkered shirt that's draped across a chair? Well, all of a sudden you think, oh, Lumberjack must live here. And of course, he must have come to eat his breakfast and was called away and, and, and put the chainsaw on the table. So it's like, all right, yeah. Then And suddenly that object now has context, right? It's still weird to see a chainsaw on a kitchen table, but there's a reason for it. And it's, and it's implied and explained. Yeah, makes sense. And that's also still discussed today, as I said. The, the second crime against mimesis is context out of context. <laughs> Okay, can we... Genre bending. Oh, the genre bending one. Yeah. And 
and that's usually what happens when people start to like they don't know how to make a game cohesive and they just throw everything in there. So if you remember the old game Zork, which you probably don't. I have never played Zork. No. I'm sorry. Okay. I do Neither know of have it. I. I don't know of it either. I do know half the directions now because I memorized half oh, that's your song. True. That's true. There were, there were some aspects of Zork that kind of felt like it was some fantasy game, but then at the same time, no, it's a modern game. And then at the same time, no, it's a weird game because... And it worked well because it was kind of whimsical, but at the same time, it was it, it was a little bit jarring at times because things didn't fit together cohesively. Like you're in a dungeon, you pull out a gun, and up until that point, you've been going through a dungeon almost like thinking it was a medieval dungeon or yeah, something. Yeah, and possibly. Then, yeah. So, and here when you like bend genres, you might decide that this is going to be a, I don't know, a horror, and then it just suddenly changes into... I don't know, comedy. Comedy. <laughs> <laughs> or or putting elements of horror into a room that don't necessarily tie to the narrative at all, but you put them in there because horror, because, you know, slime monsters belong in horror films too, even if this is a ghost story, right? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's and I think most most escape rooms now don't really worry too much about that because they are they because it's only an hour it sticks to one theme yeah mm-hmm. so it's not like too many escape rooms now are trying to you know yeah since out. this is well I don't know we've walked into those escape rooms where there's a teddy bear nailed or to the wall Satan there you go or or what <laughs> suddenly Satan suddenly Satan yes you know that there's that oh you've never heard us talk about that. That's like one of the one of the bingo card entries. You're in a room, you think it's, you know, whatever your typical escape room, oh, and then suddenly there's Satan. demonology. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do love that. Yeah. That happens all the time. But yeah. I think that's 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 fine. But and finally the third crime is puzzles itself out of context. And usually I'm the one that's a stickler for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Preach, Mike. <laughs> Usually I'm a, I'm a stickler more for fairness. Here they're actually talking a lot more about putting normal puzzles like Sudokus, like anagrams, like Towers of Hanoi, mazes, <laughs> riddles into a game for no reason. What I loved about that is yeah. that we, we bring up these terms in escape rooms to make fun of them. And again, this article was written <laughs> in 1996 and he was still complaining about the Towers of Hanoi, the cryptograms, yes. the anagrams. Stupid <laughs> Towers of Hanoi. <laughs> now, I don't know if anybody out there knows what a Towers of Hanoi is. We did describe it back in one of our earlier epi- episodes and I do believe, and we did find the Towers of Hanoi in a game that we have oh, to do in our head. Oh, yes. <laughs> Errol loves them. So if you have an escape oh, room with them, invite him. I don't know him. why they made me do it. Because you're like the Towers of Hanoi expert. You do that on your phone. Yeah. For fun. Oh, my da- daughter loaded it up on my phone. Yeah, but you taught her how to do it. But if it does make sense in the context of the narrative if it does make sense in the context of the world for instance if two characters have a reason to talk in code to each other to write well for instance we played an escape room take home game that was based on the civil war and the puzzles used uh the character was based on a historical figure and she wrote in code all the time and so the puzzles were actually using her actual code and so that 
make sense. So it would make sense that we'd have a bunch of cryptograms or, or ciphers to solve because that, those were the ones that actually make sense to the world. But again, I still want to iterate that even though we do find these out-of-context puzzles in an escape room, that's just how escape rooms are now, and I still enjoy them like that. Mm-hmm. But, but it would still be interesting. I don't know if we were able to play a number of escape rooms that were more like Revo Escape. What, what do you think that would be like? I don't know. That'd be hard to create, though, because it's hard to come up with different different types of puzzles that aren't your basic puzzles or maybe it's just how we are right now and where we just see the same oh look it's a four letter lock let's look for something in groups of four somewhere i think in general it's one thing that all escape owners kind of struggle with when especially they're doing the first couple of designs uh like when i'm talking to them like especially first time designers and we're talking about you know uh making sense of adding things into the world you know the first couple points that we've already described and they all say you know it's really hard to do that it's a lot more work to think about that stuff but uh yeah it's something that really as players we take for granted when you know a design's actually done right cuz we haven't really come across a lot of rooms that are like that and to be honest if if you were to give like players in general rooms that that like make sense in the real world, wouldn't the reset be terrible or like absolutely difficult? <laughs> I would assume because the problem with one of the difficulties is like, okay, then what isn't useful? Mm-hmm. That's what the question becomes, mm-hmm. right? The more stuff you put in your room that makes sense to the real world, the more we're going to want to use it uh, as we figured out. The interesting thing is the essay talks about two main ways that a writer can work set-piece puzzles into a game. And the less satisfying way is the way that we do it in our events. <laughs> I know, I read that. It's like, NPC. And that is, yeah, no, the po- to postulate some sort of one, eccentric genius. Yep. Two, mad god. Three, warped wizard. Or four, soup can sphinx, who set up the puzzles out of pure native goofiness. Or the desire to test their hero's wits, or or so on. So as you can see, basically we have some type of antagonistic character that set up these tests for you. Oh. And that's what I have done in all my All events. of our events have had, well, this mobster loves puzzles, so that's how you get into his speakeasy, yeah. Basically, right? we just try to make the Riddler from Batman yeah. every single event. <laughs> the Rid- and you have the, li- to the Riddler runs puzzles. all Or a rapping but... pharaoh. Yes. <laughs> oh, uh. I mean, but the good thing is the way the reason we do it that way is just so that we can still work with the wide variety of puzzles that you find in escape rooms. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because I think, you know, with our events, I guess the closest I came was... Uh, I did that event last year here in Toronto, which was a... They said that they were immersive theater. They were actually more escape room, like live at, or, a, or a LARP than anything. And that one tried to make sense of the real world. It was a large group of people. There wasn't really puzzles. There were problems to solve. And you either went to the NPCs to try and figure out which keywords you had to use. Uh, but they also were like characters. But then there were also little puzzles around. And then the puzzles that were there did make sense to the world. Uh, somebody was trying to hide 
you know, something in a secret location. And in order to find out that location, you had to, you know, solve their code. And that and that made sense. Uh, but the puzzles as a result were very limited because they had to make sense to the world. Now, the interesting thing, going back to the essay, is that the most they state the most common problem in any game, any interactive fiction game, is the lock and key puzzle. Hmm. And this is interesting because... This is basically what an escape room is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because <laughs> it's and it's not so much that we're talking about um, a, a literal lock and literal literal key. When they say lock and key puzzle, they mean that there's an obstacle. You have to find the thing that will open up that obstacle, it, and, and and that can be either you know place pot on table to open up a door, mm-hmm. talk to NPC to allow you access through a secret passage. You know different things like that and i guess back in the day after a while people got tired of all these weird fetch quests <laughs> the, and wanted something to do different in a in a in a text game the best example i can think of that i played was king's quest 5 yeah it was just a russian doll set of of item quests that like all right you got to get through this door but they need like or like they need a key or they need money for you to bribe them to get the money. You got to go to this other guy to get, to get the, when you go to the other guy, he's missing his dog. Now you got to find his dog. You got to, to find the dog. You need to get a piece of steak from the butcher, but the butcher's wife is fighting with him. So you got to, so you just, it just, there's like, it's lock upon lock upon lock. And then when you finally get that thing, it's like this is the house that Jack built, and you got to go back to the beginning and finally get through, pay the pay off the person to open the door. None of that's in King's Quest Five. I was just thinking of things off the top of my head. Oh, okay, but. although although <laughs> as I said before, there's nothing wrong with it because it's still kind of fun in an escape room, and if it's done well, I think one of the best puzzles I can think of is from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's a text game, and you had to get the Babel fish in your ear. Oh, okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of that classic I, puzzle. I, I, I've never heard of that puzzle. I never got past... I always died at the beginning. <laughs> You're I supposed always, to lie in front of the bulldozer. <laughs> I didn't know that. I just watched it run over me. <laughs> or watched it run over my house. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> So I always lost that game within two minutes. Oh, wow. Spoiler alert. You're supposed to lie in front of the bulldozer. (laughs) I'm going to go play it again. (laughs) (sighs) But the interesting thing here is that the solutions that they give to get past this lock and key problem are things that us as players don't like now. I mean, I don't mind it, but I know a lot of people don't like these solutions in an escape room. For example, solutions requiring... Actually, not that one. Objects relevant to more than one solution. Mm. Oh, yeah. A very common rule is that once you used it, you'll never use it again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we rely on that as we go through the puzzles because a lot of times you will have a buttload of keys and a buttload of locks, and it's just easier if one goes to one, then you don't have to think about it again. Mm -hmm. So do you think it's the timed aspect of escape rooms that would... Because when you're designing a video game, per se, and this is more about video games or text games, when you have more all the time in the world, then to think about how each object can be used... I'm just, this is actually a question. Yeah, like, do you, yeah what, I, I what definitely do you think, think so. I mean, it's the same sort of argument with 
puzzles, the puzzle difficulty and puzzle hunts, right? You have more time to think and play around with things. Well, if you're in a time environment for 30, you know, if you're stuck on one stupid puzzle, one set of locks all on this box for like, um, you know, even 10 minutes, it's, it's frustrating. And because you're timed, you're under the gun. And you, maybe you don't want to sit there and work through all the different permutations. And puzzle hunts, that's kind of allowable. I personally hate it. I don't want to permutate through all the different theories that I have just to see if it will work out. But that's perfectly fine in a, in a puzzle hunt, to have a, even ambiguity there. And then you just have to work through everything. But in an escape room, I say that's a no-no. So do you think that in an escape room, not having the one-and-done rule could work? Oh yeah, I've been we've we have been in an escape room where where we had to use an object more than once. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty obvious to us from the beginning that an object could be used more than once, mm-hmm. right? When you're given an object right at the beginning and this will help you along the way, then it's like, okay, we keep it with us at all times. I think uh I think an escape room that has an abundance of locks and keys and just a lot of little bits like that is 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 why that we have that rule in case sorry we we have that rule in place because because instead of trying to figure out a way how to make all the puzzles signpost all on their own so Mm -hmm. that you don't have to get confused that's just one way to say just don't worry about anything because as mike said you know putting more thought into the design of 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 a puzzle flow takes a really long time mm-hmm. and if you have that there then it just just makes life a bit easier just the just one and done with one and done i'm kind of mixed about that particularly um thinking back to our experience at a place i had to wear my boots i remember that they didn't explicitly say one and done so i re- i was actually carrying a whole bunch of items with us <laughs> while we're handcuffed and by the time we got to the part where, oh, God, we got to, and I guess this is a spoiler, uh, do jump over a wall. Uh, I was still carrying all this stuff with me like, OK, we're definitely going to need this prop over there. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm mixed about that, especially, again, in a timed environment. But at the same time, there was another object that we had to use twice. And it was obvious we had to use it twice. Yes, when it was. it finally came up again. Yeah. And I thought that was fine. So maybe if it's more along the lines of we just assume everything's one and done and we don't carry everything with us. But then once we realize, oh, hey, this goes with that, let's give it a try. Right. That opens up more possibilities. So I think that requires designers to come up with cleaner puzzles. Is this, is it going to boil down to come up with clever puzzles? <laughs> Stop being I mean, so lazy. I mean, that was a problem in adventure games too, right? You had yeah. to pick up everything. Yes. Because you knew that everything was important. Well, then you just go click happy, right? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, what just, can't I pick just up? Just pick everything. And and then you had to worry about things like inventory management, and that got annoying. So in that regard, yeah. then they should give us backpacks in these kind of escape rooms. <laughs> <laughs> and Errol will carry 100 units of dirt with him. it's errol's hoarding video game hoarding joke (laughs) another another solution to this lock and key problem that they they talk about is problems having more than one solution which we mentioned earlier before and that too would be interesting again 
that would be hard. A lot of the reason that it's hard now, because some people try to implement more than one solution to a problem, but that usually means having a couple of clues to to indicate how to open up <laughs> a, a lock. And then all of a sudden, if you do it one way, people are confused. Then what are these clues for? And it was for the other one. And way. I can think right. of the perfect example where that didn't work in the escape room, referring back to our worst escape room ever. <laughs> <laughs> the guy tried to provide way too many clues arriving to the same locks, like, oh, you can find this, but you can also find it in black light. <laughs> well, I think, too, it was what about the one we did where you could. I don't know, because both of those examples have you choosing two different... Like, the one we chose where we had two different way puzzles to solve that could arrive to the same door, right? We could choose to do it the hard way, where I can't remember what it was, or we could oh, choose, yeah, choose to do it the endings. cool way, where we yeah, yeah. stab things. Is is Brad still around? I don't know if Brad's oh. still around. Do you remember Mike? No, they're not around. Really? Oh, good. Oh, so good. So Brad the Vampire this. can be talked about? <laughs> Oh, it was a great room. Oh, my God. Because uh, there was. <laughs> you know, now that we're talking a... about it, was were they trying to call him Brad because of Brad Pitt? Probably. Who was the vampire in the interview with the vampire? Oh, yeah, that would no, make sense. That's probably, I mean, that's what I thought. But, I, but <laughs> it doesn't sound as menacing having a vampire called Brad. I don't Brad. know. Yeah, Lestat or Brad. <laughs> or Brad. <laughs> Could have just been Vlad. Vlad. Yeah, they 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 changed a few letters to. Well, it just it sounds like it should be a comedy at that point. That's the thing. <laughs> I'd love to see the story of Brad the Vampire, but it's uh. I can't remember if we talked about it in the podcast, but in the end, there was a multiple choice. There had we have two choices for mm-hmm. an ending. And did we explain what that was? I don't think we so. didn't explain in detail because we thought spoilers. One was basically you take this dagger and stab it in the coffin. The other one was you figuring out the notes to a music box and there were like 20 notes. And the music was uh, the, the Godfather oh, yes. theme, wasn't it? And then it? you had to like figure it all out <laughs> and then you had to pull numbers from it to open a code. Or you could stab the coffin, yeah. which was much more fun. Now, now they didn't actually relay that narrative very well. Mm-hmm. No. So we thought we had to solve both. So we just stabbed the stabbed the the coffin and then all of a sudden before you knew it we solved things it's like wait what what happened to the i was still trying to get i can't remember but i remember not yeah. realizing that there was two and then i asked them well why did you do that so and the owner said so that we could have a choice mm. and then <laughs> i said but it was so much easier just to stab yep. him i'm not i'm not super invested in this character that i <laughs> was having a moral dilemma <laughs> Now, thankfully, this came at the end, so like we didn't spend a whole room wondering what this puzzle would open up. But had it come earlier, it would have been a lot, a lot more difficult to discern. Like we would have been sitting there trying to solve this other puzzle, not realizing that we had already found the solution to a door with it, with the with another branch of the puzzle path, I guess. Is the time travel lab still out somewhere? Mm, Not in Canada, but I think in other parts of the world. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so I can't spoil that one. Oh, no, don't spoil you would that love one. to spoil that end, one. Well, it's not that I would love to it, but at the end, and I will say this, I thought that they had a problem that could have multiple solutions, and they just chose just one. 
And and that right. that bothered me an awful lot because multiple solutions would have fit. That's true. I can relate to that. Again, the and he was more talking about it's the same kind of concept. The more solutions you kind of put in, the more you have to program these video games. And that just gets really tiring and really tedious really quickly. So it's just easier to find ways. So he mentioned the video game way of solving this. I'm not sure how you'd solve it in escape rooms. So if there's potentially... The, the example he uses is like, let's say you have a sleeping guard and you have to steal a key off of him, right? And the way to steal a key is to tickle him with a feather. And... Now, what if what if the um, what if the alternate way of doing it is like why can't I just tickle him with my hands, right? That's a that's another way to tickle him. And so he said another way around that was to create a text that would say, "Would you try it?" They're like, "Oh, you wake him up, he gets mad at you, you go away." So now you have a clue as to the proper way to solve it, but it also means that you haven't com- been completely blocked from doing it the way you want to do it. I'm not sure what the escape room equivalent would be of that. Well, it's interesting because going back to Revo Escape, you didn't do the puzzle because you were working on something else. But there was a puzzle we were working on that had that had different ways to solve it. Cause, and we found one way, but apparently there was another way to solve it um, oh. using the same materials. But it, that's one of the things I actually found very interesting because we actually had fun solving this problem it wasn't a puzzle it was a problem and i don't want to spoil it no but it was really interesting solutions to doing it because it was uh yeah and and again we didn't we didn't figure out the most optimal way to do it no we found a way to do it and it worked but we didn't find the most optimal way, way to do it so uh, I think it can be done but it just depends on the puzzles that you're working on and again yeah. you still run into the problem Will this be a red herring later on? Yeah. Side note, just playing a a more mimetic game, the sheer turn my brain had to take away from escape room logic, because we're so used to playing escape rooms with escape room logic, was really not... It wasn't panic-inducing or anything, but it was a really big, like, okay, crap, crap. Like, when we supposedly wake up in in the beginning of the game and and we just look around and we're like there are no clues on the walls there is nothing here (laughs) and you had to actually figure out your surroundings that's actually a big mind bend if you're used to playing escape rooms i'm gonna take an aside here oh oh i am gonna take an aside i am going to go back to something called the what is this game called the craft of adventure which was written by graham nelson and this was written before uh, the crimes against Mimesis. And The Craft of Adventure was written uh, just to lay out a guideline on how to make a good adventure game. And one of the chapters in there, which I want to cover since we're here talking about old essays, and people probably have zoned out by now. <laughs> perhaps. Well, perhaps. It's called The Bill of Players' Rights. Things that that players have a right to expect in a game. Oh, and it's interesting because I think it fits relatively well with escape rooms now. So the first one is not to be killed without warning. <laughs> now this this happened in a lot in the video games back in the day. Like you played Sierra games, you know that at any point in time you just might die. You just have to save all <laughs> the time because yeah, yeah. 
You walk along. Oh, there's a rhino that's going to charge you. Better be prepared from your next save. And I'm like, crap. <laughs> yes, very true. And I think that's that probably would be more along the lines for now if you're going to translate to escape rooms is that we don't have the ability to save. And so you mm. shouldn't have a puzzle that is destroyable that gets uh the that has its that's its initial state cannot be restored that's location dependent you know what i mean so if you suddenly do a puzzle i think i've talked about this before in the i think it's one of my 13 rules you shouldn't have Mm -hmm. a destroyable puzzle i like this number two not to be given horribly unclear hints (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Did you oh. check the room? No. <laughs> so for this is a great. I like their example. I don't think I've ever seen something this unclear. But uh, <laughs> here it was. He was. Pl- he played a game in which going north from a cave led to a lethal pit, and the hint was there was a pride of lions carved above the doorway. And so what? that was supposed to lead you to believe pride comes before the fall. Are you serious? What? <laughs> oh I don't get it. Oh my god. That that's a common saying, pride comes before the fall. And so he was just the the designer of this of this So you're puzzle. gonna fall, but here's a pride to of show lions. you that going this way is bad. Are you oh serious? Dear. I would be so pissed off. <laughs> yeah, so you don't want to have very unclear hints. <laughs> or just Expect that everyone will know that phrase so <laughs> right? well. They'd be like, what are those lions? Oh. oh, yes, pride cometh before the fall. I'm going to fall. I Like, what? Sorry, now I'm pissed <laughs> off without even having played the game. <laughs> There's a few other ones that more relate to to video games because you have the ability to save, and they are to be able to win without experience of past lives. In other words, you know, if you had to understand... Um, or sorry, and the other one is to be able to win without knowledge of future events. So basically, you have to have played the game before in order to know how to get further ahead. That's mm-hmm. right, and that doesn't make sense. So yeah, I mean, most escape rooms don't worry about doing that, so no. we don't have to worry. What some escape rooms do do, this is getting again back to uh, not being killed without warning, is not to have the game closed off without warning. So similarly, you don't want to uh, not being able to go back or not being able room. to go back. Not yeah. being able to go back is fine if you don't need anything back there. Right. Or like, yeah, it's like making that kind of It's like, did you leave the radio? Oh, you left the radio behind after the door locked mm-hmm. behind you. I think we had one instance of that where yeah. a door shut behind us and we forgot something in the previous room. This is harder because all escape rooms do this, but it's not to need to do unlikely things. <laughs> well. Hmm. <laughs> but what can you do? <laughs> we, we all do all sorts of unlikely things in escape rooms. Right. It's, it comes with the game. The next one I really do like. Not to need to do boring things for the sake of it. Boring oh, things. Boy. Wow. They are. Oh, and then of course they. Uh, but come they, on, we they... gotta sort through the shredded paper. Yeah. For example, a four-disc Towers of Hanoi puzzle might entertain. No, it won't. But an eight-disc one would would just be horrible. Yes. Right. Yes, it would. So 
And I think that's also part of my 113 rules. Like, you know, a puzzle shouldn't last a person, especially if it's a process puzzle, for more than 13 minutes or mm -hmm. five minutes. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't last a long time. I'm worried that a lot of games are going to go that way just to make things easier, but to find some way to make it difficult. Right. Yeah. Oh, uh, the next one deals with parser and the interface um, about how to type and using cinnamons. Synonyms. <laughs> uh, cinnamons. Cinnamons. <laughs> oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> this one, not to depend too much on luck. We're fortunate enough not to worry about that in escape rooms too much. I, I mean, it's lucky we have a Ruby who can aim well. Yes, yes, <laughs> that it is. is. Lucky. That's probably more dexterity related. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or when we luck into brooding a lock. <laughs> <laughs> we don't luck. We know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is good, though. To be able to understand a problem once it is solved. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that feeling, actually. Even yes. if it takes me forever, the moment I get it, it's like, oh, my gosh. Okay, I understand now. And... Yes. Yeah. Sometimes we solve things. This happened. This happens in more escape room board games where we have no idea why a puzzle, uh, an answer worked. Right. Even with the answer. I know that sometimes my I, I'll that. suggest something and Errol will be like, "What sense does that make?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I just thought maybe it might." And we try it and it works. And it like there's there was no real logical conclusion to it. I just thought, what if we add these numbers together? There was no reason to, but it's an option. I hate that solution. I know you do. <laughs> I know you hate it, and it's my go. I, I don't go to it. As no, much no, no. Anymore. I'm not saying this is a bad suggestion from you. Don't get me wrong. If I'm in a game, I though, know, but you hate the puzzle solution. And then all Let's of a sudden, the solution together. to to a puzzle is to randomly add all these numbers together for no reason. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yep. Drives me mad. It's it's fine if it's on a receipt. Have I complained about this on these on this uh, podcast before? I don't know. You've complained about math, but you haven't complained specifically about I don't think well, the I mean, randomness of numbers and or, well, I mean I don't mind if it's not that it, I mean I complain about math because I don't I'm not good at math and I don't like it. But it's more along the lines that if there's no real reason for us to add numbers together, yeah. when they're not normally added together, then it yeah. drives. Me oh, batty. we might have complained about it once before. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if it was prices, you always add prices up. Mm -hmm. So I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, I won't do it's the like math. It's like, the solution <laughs> is the price of two cups of coffee. All right. Yeah. Then that's yeah. fine. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. But if it's, but if you do anything else that isn't normally added together, for example, shoe sizes, <laughs> what happens? Yeah. You know, let's say you find seven pairs of shoes and the answer is to add up all the shoe sizes. Nobody adds up shoe sizes for you to find a better... <laughs> now, I'm, I'm, now I'm trying to think of a situation <laughs> in which you would. No, no you don't, because that's not a thing you do with shoe sizes. It's, uh, it's funny you're getting no, so worked up on your hypothetical uh, situation. Like, like it's happened it before. <laughs> well, I don't want to give spoilers to something because I have done it before for something similar. Yes. And it, yeah. It, and he's just, like he's, his, he has fists. <laughs> he's like, ugh. <laughs> ready to pounce on whoever uh, to suggest it's a good idea uh the next two are kind of nice to have a good reason why something is impossible and to know how the game is getting on i kind of relate that to feedback mm -hmm. it's always good to have feedback yeah and in here 
Not to be given too many red herrings. So back in the day, a couple red herrings were okay. Now we just say no. No. Well, no. with escape rooms, we say no. <laughs> yes. Again, when you have the time to kind of meander through a video game, it's different than when you have a 60-minute experience. It's like you have 60 minutes to have all the fun. That's it. And if you get off track, well, then you didn't have all the fun, did you? <laughs> but I think in their defense, to them, a red herring even was an object that had no purpose. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, now in escape rooms, you might find many objects that don't have a purpose. But make sense in a room. Yes. So. If, if, as long as you make it. Again, we've had the red herring conversation so many yeah. times. But I mean, but... if I find a radio in, in an old, you know, an old-fashioned radio and we mm-hmm. don't use the radio, then it's not going to kill me. Hmm. No. It's just there for... As long as it's obvious what the puzzles are. Yeah. Then you don't, you know, you won't sit there playing with a radio for thirty minutes trying to figure out what its meaning is. Well, I might play with the radio. Well, I know, but that's an arrow reason to play with the radio <laughs> or a piano. Yes. Oh, remember that one room where they had the piano and he wouldn't let me play it? That's because it was a museum. <laughs> what? Yo, why have a piano there? Oh. It was, he was like, "Don't play it. It's actually an antique." <laughs> Oh. It's a museum piece. And I was like, piano, piano. I don't think you should do escape room no. where you need to have museum hands. Honestly. <laughs> Even in museums? Yeah. No, no. Yeah, yeah, because then you're not allowed to touch anything. Well, if it was obvious. Well, okay, look. If they just had a rope around the piano, would that have helped more? Now we're yeah. getting off into another mm-hmm. tangent, but, you know. <laughs> but it would make sense. If we were if we were in a museum, then it would make sense. But I think we were supposed to be back in the day to be immersive. We were actually. It would have made sense actually if he'd said, "Please keep quiet. We don't want to alert the authorities to our presence here, because we were in hiding." Right. That's that yeah. would have made sense. That would have made it would have made sense. sense in context of the story. It would have been loud. mimetic. <laughs> You know. <laughs> the whole point of I was going to say the, the topic that we're supposed to be yes, talking about. Yes, yes, yeah. very true. The whole point of being mimetic, though, is because it is one aspect of immersion. I was going to ask about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ask away, then. Let's ask. Because I was ask? like, I was going to say, isn't this basically a lot of the immersion talks that we've been having? And isn't this... We had an episode on suspension of disbelief as well. Um, does that relate to mimesis in a way? Because there, there is sort of a... Like, the less mimetic a room is, the more you have to suspend your disbelief, right? Mm-hmm. The more, especially if it's a more narrative-focused room. However, I don't, I don't know. Is it the... I'm, now I'm thinking off the top of my head. Is it the same thing? Or is mimesis more like, even if there are weird elements in a room or weird puzzles in a room, trying to make it have, have, have a reason to be in that world? Like, if you want a Sudoku in your room, fine, but maybe have a a narrative reason for it being there. Well, I think the problem is not so much that it's a Sudoku in the room. Is that why does, why is that Sudoku an answer to a puzzle outside of it? Right. Right. Okay. So that's why we've always gone with the eccentric behavior (laughs) of a madman. Yeah. Because he created all these puzzles. Right. But... In, in real life, if you have a Sudoku that you find on a newspaper, would it open up the lock to your fridge? Because everybody locks their fridge. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
No, no. Right. And again, uh, but again, and I'm, I'm iterating this like for a third time. This right. is still a game. <laughs> and yes. We we do enjoy doing uh, playing games and solving. But there 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 will probably come a branch of adventure games that will sorry a branch of escape room games that will try to answer that question and kind of can we make a game uh, that doesn't commit a sin against mimesis and we have played one and we have played was, one and it was very interesting and different and fun yeah so it, it, so it, it used a different done. part of our brains. Yeah, it basically. did. We had to try and think how else to solve the room. And that yeah. was an interesting aspect to the room. And so I usually will tell people to give it a try because it's different. Yeah. And as an enthusiast, now that we can get to get a chance to do different things as opposed to the normal normal escape room logic we're used to, I'm all for it. Okay. Well, they talk about NPCs in the article, too. I know that doesn't really... Like, that only really relates to our events. Well, no, a lot of people are trying... Not a lot. Okay, there are some escape rooms that yeah. are... I Sorry, I said only, in, but I, yeah, I mean... Delving like, into actors. Yeah. But it was interesting reading it because it is like NPCs, and we've even described it on this podcast, are basically walking locks. Right, and the keys walking that you resettable locks, walking resettable, resettable locks. locks. <laughs> yeah, and the keys that you have to open them are the dialogue choices you have, keywords that you that you say. If you say the word like balloon to somebody, they'll like you'll say something cryptic back to you. And I like kind of what the article was saying in that you know, as a result, some NPCs can seem really shallow because that is all they are. It's like they need an obstacle there. Let's put a person. That's an obstacle. As opposed to creating that obstacle as well as creating an interesting character to talk to as well. So I think we tried to do that with our events. Oh, yeah. You yeah. wrote backstories for everybody. I wrote backstories, but it was also important. Like, you know, people had the option to talk to us about things other than the puzzles, right? And they did, and it was and it was fun for them. So the locks were able to be more disguised as a result. So you could, you know, it it was a little bit more as opposed to somebody who stands there and is like, "Greetings, traveler. What can I do for you?" And I think it was interesting when I did our train event. I had a solution to. I was a lock for one of our puzzles, and I had a solution in my head to to solve it and right <laughs> yeah did i already explain this i can't remember oh uh, you explained it a bit but i didn't yeah. realize i didn't think about like the mimetic implications of it actually but in, in the end i just decided look these people are going to great lengths to find a different solution for me to allow them to take this picture i was keeping them from take i was preventing them from taking a picture of something and in the end i just thought you know what, why am I being such a stickler? So I'm going to let them, since they work so hard to get me to stop, yeah. to, uh, sorry, to allow them to take this picture. I'm just going to let them let them do it, you know? Well, that's, that's a good example of multiple solutions to a problem, Yeah. right? Because in that real world context, there are multiple ways to distract somebody. You can point to something. You can... Nobody tried to seduce me. <laughs> Isn't that a problem you normally have to... Oh, oh no. Shots fired. <laughs> I can be mean, too. So 
Nobody tried to do seduce Bingo, but nobody tried to seduce me. <laughs> no one knows who Bingo is on this podcast. No, that dude was just another character. He was a volunteer. <laughs> Poor guy. And then everybody tried to seduce Josh. Yes. Well, well he was also what flirting what with everybody. With Josh. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Flirting well, as a matter of fact, though. <laughs> as opposed to me. So you say, okay, I admit it. I'm I'm horrible at flirting. Yeah. That's an awkward way to end that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and again, this is like my third time of reiterating. 1996, these ideas were put forth. Mm-hmm. So they're not new by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. And these adventure games have been around for a long time. The hard part is translating that to the present in escape mm-hmm. room games. In fact, mimesis is like an ancient, like it, it derived from Greek. Mm-hmm. This was brought forth by Aristotle. This is an ancient topic <laughs> we're discussing. Yes, maybe we should talk about diegesis next. No, yeah. we won't. Har, har. Anyway, if you are interested in looking these articles up, you will find them. Just If you just search for Crimes Against Mimesis, you'll find it. We can also post a link as well. Yeah, I'll post a link. And also we'll link to Graham Nelson's Craft of Adventure. I might actually have that in there in my 13 rules as well. Mm-hmm. In case anybody's interested in, in how nerdy these people were way back in the day. <laughs> Nerd! <laughs> Seriously, they have... There are there are archives of conversations of them talking about this, but you know we shouldn't talk because this is what happens in the Facebook groups and, and Slack. The Slack. Yeah, we go on and on about this. So and here's a question: over and over again. Would you guys prefer? Do you think your preferred style it would be more a more mimetic room, having played just one now, or a more, I guess, traditional escape room? Hmm. Is there a time limit? I mean, we'll assume yes, because all escape rooms have time limits. I guess as long as is it's as open-ended as it's supposed to be. Like, uh, say, for example, we end up with an extendable baton. What can I do with this? Can I smash open doors? Can I, or do I have to use it and stick it in, I don't know, some extendable baton holder in order <laughs> to open up whatever? Right. Uh, I think as long as the designer has in mind that uh, there are multiple solutions to problems. um, Yeah, sure. I'd be up for that. I think my issue with playing that one game that the issue was I wasn't prepared for it, per se. And like my shoes weren't the right shoes. We were put in funny clothes that I wasn't prepared to wear. Um, But other than that... I ripped my clothes. (laughs) Yes. Other than that, like I I enjoyed the experience of it being real. But I think because the owner still had to think about it as a game and a reset factor where we can't fully be immersed to the point where we do things that we would do in real life. The experience wasn't complete. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know if we'll get ever get like a fully memetic game, right? Where everything makes sense. Like, yeah, oh my god, we got to escape. 
just break the right? window. <laughs> right. like, I would like to try that one day. Call the police. <laughs> Ruby just wants to break everything. That's not true. <laughs> I don't break things in rooms. No, that's true. No, I, you, you don't. We don't break things in rooms. Actually, you guys all blame me for breaking things in rooms. No, we blame, we you blame for you for stealing, stealing things. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I steal things, yeah. too. Not on purpose. <laughs> I'm really good at checking my pockets now. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Still, in the end, for me, I think it all depends on the experience. Mm. So, it all, it, you know, I don't mind if it's not a mimetic. And I think it's, and I want to try more med- mimetic things, because mimetic games, just to see how they implement mm-hmm. it. I probably will do it from a interest and design aspect and go oh wow i had fun with trying to figure that out Mm -hmm. but if all games were like that i I don't know i mean i could be wrong it might be it might be very interesting to to see it and the ingenuity of some of the designers out there how to make a mimetic game i'm just assuming that it will all just be the same but the amount of effort to make a mimetic game would be very Mm -hmm. difficult and maybe people will come up with cool things i think even if your room isn't completely mimetic per se like you know you're not. You're still solving puzzles that are more traditional to escape rooms. It'd still be a, you know, an interesting. It's still an interesting and worthwhile idea to really consider the context for why your puzzles are there. And like with the chainsaw example, sure you can have a cool piece of something in the room, but maybe if you provide some context with which that object actually would be there, then it just enhances the experience and helps your players to become more immersed in that as well. Okay. Shall we, man pants? We yes. have another question. We have another question. It's I, now question time. I need ba, you. Ba, 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 da, ba. Ba, 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 da, ba. <laughs> what am I singing? I don't know. Is I that the know. theme from Definition or something like what that? What is Definition? No, that's... I don't know what I'm saying. Okay, I remember. I know. I recognize that that's, song. That's the theme from Definition. Okay, I don't know what Definition is still. It's an old Canadian game show. Oh, no idea. Okay. Yeah. Can we say say the first person's name. name? Just first name. Okay. The name of this person is Rebecca Longwood Virginsadeng. You said her full name. <laughs> no, no. That's not her name. Her name's Sally. I was just making up names. Oh. <laughs> I should have. I should. I should have. Re- I'm such a dummy. <laughs> Hi, hello, divas. A big fan of your podcast. I've listened to every episode and some more than once. Oh wait, crap. I have a suggestion for a future episode. Yeah, now I'm thinking to myself, ah, oh, crumbs. I guess we should edit these more. But you're doing a good job editing now, man pants. Now. <laughs> I mean, in comparison to our first one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, what I was talking about. I would love to hear you guys talk about your very first escape, what your thoughts and expectations were going in, what that escape experience was like, what newbie things you did that the diva you would roll your eyes at. Oh, boy, we'll roll our eyes at everything. Thank you for your consideration and for making such a fun podcast. Sally. Yay. Thanks, Thanks, Sally. Sally. So the funny thing is, I think we all went to the same facility for our first escape room, but we all... But not together. But not together. Mike and Ruby were cool. Yeah, what? at the time. What? Are we were are cool? No, are no. cool. There you go. They are cool. <laughs> <laughs> now they're in the dirt with us. <laughs> 
So we all went to a facility that's now closed called Escape It. And mm-hmm. I think Mike and Ruby were the did escape rooms before we did escape rooms, right? I don't know. Wasn't your first back in 2007 when you were eight years old or something like that? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even remember the year now. I think 2013. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I'd have to check through old It was emails. when they first opened. When did they first open? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember. At you, the old location. Yeah. Anywho, so we just popped in and we're like, oh, okay, let's do the easiest one because we've never done any of these before. Mm-hmm. And Ruby will tell the rest. What? It was like a library <laughs> or something. I don't remember the the theme of it, but I remember there being a bookshelf and bookcase and books <laughs> and a fireplace that said meat on it. And um, Oh, I did that one too. Yeah. Like the cryptic library. Yes, there we go. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember too much because it was so long ago. I remember flipping through all the books. That was the first time I flipped through all the books <laughs> just to find like these little laminated cards. And I'm like, okay, okay. So I have all these books open. I have like this intro to econ and like this intro <laughs> to like chemistry. So I don't know what we need to look up, but uh, I have all these like important pages open. Yeah, I, I remember it was like. We really had no direction. We had no idea what we we're supposed to do. And we're just trying everything. And at the end of it, like we got to the end. But the thing that like held us over time was we didn't know how to open. It was like one of those like old CD, CD box boxes. Thing? Yeah. And it had like those oh. buttons on the front to open it. Oh, but oh yeah. I've never seen that. those outside of escape oh, rooms. Yeah. We couldn't uh, open it either. Yeah. And then we're <laughs> like, okay, this must not be the right combination. Let's look around again. And we kept circling around, looking around, looking around. Then we called the guy in because we're just like, because we're, we're playing with this guy that we used to call, well, he became the minus one, the guy who, who uh, he, he, he doesn't help your team. He basically the, the, <laughs> the one who makes the difficulty harder. Anyway, so he refused to call hints. So I was just like, you know what? It's the last like five seconds. Let's call this Was hint it? To I, see. Remember, I remember saying, give me that box <laughs> and then trying to open it. No, and then and then we actually had to call the guy in, and then he showed us. And Did then he? you're like, "See, I told you, you just had to do that." No, I remember. I said, "Give me that box," and I remember opening the box. Oh no! I, I remember we did call a hint, but I thought we were verifying the numbers. No, it wasn't that. I don't know. <laughs> See, memories are spotty when it's when it's too long ago. I, I, I remember that when I played this game, there were ravens. We couldn't solve the raven problem. Counting. Remember I remember that. Yeah, yeah, it was counting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I couldn't solve it for the life of us. Let's see when I did it. It was mine, my, my first time, 2014, Whoa. June 23rd. Wow. It was called it was actually called the Cursed Library. The one after it that we did was the Cryptic Cellar. Oh, we did that, oh, that too. One. Yes, yeah. yes. There was wine or liquid coming out of the bottles when that we was, played. That was my first one. Yeah, and so the Cryptic Cellar was my second one. So there you go. And yeah. I actually remember a lot because it was my first it was my first one and we had I had a lot of fun. Like so what did what happened in there that I hated? A it was in the dark <laughs> and my flashlight wasn't working. Mm. So it was my. I noticed that my flashlight was dimmer than everybody else's, but 
But I didn't mind because it was searching around in the dark and I thought that was fun as a newbie. It's like, oh, we're searching around in the dark. It's so fun. I can't remember if there was a black light in that room. I don't think there was. A no, black I don't think there. so. No, there wasn't. Because the first time I saw one of those, I thought it was really cool. too. But right? do you remember if the fireplace, the word that we had to use was meat or team? See, that's, I remember that. I think it was meat. I think it was supposed to be meat because it was an anagram. Stupid no, anagrams. it actually spelt just meat, I thought. Oh, did it? Yeah. I just remember us not being too sure if it was meat or team and then one of those worked. So. Yeah. <laughs> it was something like that. We're spoiling mm. everything, but nobody can do this room. No, so yeah. no, can do the room It's anymore. gone, so... Yeah. And and then there were the raven counting thing. I don't think we counted all the ravens properly. And then we didn't we thought it had something to do with where the ravens were looking, not counting. And I don't think the GM explained it to us very well. We actually failed so many rooms in uh, when I first did the escape room. But when we cuz you see I I did one and then we did another seven a week later, then another one a week later. So we started doing an escape room almost a, every week. Yeah. Because we were having a grand old time. <laughs> but but we didn't win. I, I didn't win a lot of escape room games until I started doing them with a mixed group. When it was all just my f- male friends, that when we all same demographic. Same brain. <laughs> same. Yeah, we all fought the same. We solved nothing. <laughs> they're horrible <laughs> it's only when i started going with a mixed group that we started to solve things i was i was probably even more useless back then it was no yeah because i, I played useless. my first room with you yes i was useless yeah i remember it. i was telling earl earlier i remember in the cryptic cellar so that was my very first one and I'd been jealous of Errol already because he was like, I went to an escape room and I'd already heard of them. And I thought they were <laughs> only in Vancouver. I went to one. <laughs> I know. I was super jealous. And you're like, I went to one. And I'm like, what? They exist in Toronto? Ah! And uh, and so I went to it and it was like, I loved it so much. I like fell in love instantly, even though it was a wine cellar with a Berber carpet. And like, <laughs> it was a, it was in an office space, right? And it had like a crate with a bunch of colored tissue paper inside for reasons. Mm. But we were like, oh, wow, a crate right, with right, colored right. tissue paper. And, yeah. you know, we just started throwing things around. I just remember thinking it was so cool when we found a video cassette and... Sorry, yeah, VHS tape, and uh, and then we put it into the VCR, and then the video that first of all was like, we have a, oh my gosh, we're playing a VHS, <laughs> which was already cool, and then the which the, makes no sense in a cryptic cellar. But no, no, I don't know why it was in the wine cellar. We were supposedly down there because the dude just told us to wait and then left and left us with a TV down there uh, for reasons, and so. I, we watched this tape and there's a guy on the tape who's just bobbing his head up, down, back, forth. And we realize, oh my God, there are directions. <gasps> there's a, that was my very first directional lock. So I thought, oh my God, that's the cleverest thing in the world. Like, you know, having a way, that way to solve the puzzle. Why was a guy bobbing his head up and down? Yeah. Uh, on a video in order like was that his way of reminding himself of the no we don't know who cares it was fun and then i was hooked after that yeah did you do kitchen of hell at mr escape guys yes oh Oh, yeah and then we knocked the laser by accident too or the mirror not the laser so that was our 
that was our first experience of a split room. That was my fourth room, and it was oh my goodness. Now I actually we were I was I remember being handcuffed back to back in mm-hmm. a prison cell. I saw the picture. Oh, you were yeah. one of those. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> and and we solved all of our stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was very proud of myself because I solved all of my stuff. But then we were just there. You're stuck. Cause, uh, <laughs> yeah, because the people on the outside couldn't solve anything. And we couldn't help them because we couldn't see what they were looking at. So we just sat there. <laughs> Aww. I don't think our Yay. team solved it in the thing. It was Marty in there, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. So it we had to the help them solve and it. Stuff. And they weren't understanding. And mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of Chinese in the room and we didn't get it. So we actually called a couple of hints to get to that part. But on top of that, yeah, we struggled quite a bit with that room. Yes, we did. Oh, but then the best part, do you remember Bloody Moonlight? Also are we, are we just going to start game? listing off names? Oh, <laughs> my goodness. I don't think we played that one. No, we never did. Yeah. Oh, you didn't? Oh, that was it was horrible because there was reams of text <laughs> in a journal. And they offered oh. it in both English and Chinese. Was that the Twilight one? Basically, no. or maybe I don't know. We I were just in a remember cage. we had to we had to <laughs> there figure were cages out and handcuffs. we had to figure out yeah we had to figure out a uh, some sort of potion yeah from this book and all of us were sitting down reading these pages. Yeah, I, I do remember that. Remember. I remember being very stressed out because it was also it wasn't translated very well, so it was very hard for us to yeah. realize which one is this. I think those are cherries. Maybe. I don't know. And our friend Kari was with us. <laughs> and I could just feel the frustration rising, <laughs> which was making me antsy. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Good times. Good times. Good question. <laughs> so it was a great question. We actually still had a lot of fun, even though we were, fr- even back then. So that was, I think I started becoming a diva by my fifth game. <laughs> I know. So you were one of those enthusiasts. I know all about escape rooms. No. No? No, no. I just about getting annoyed by things. Oh, getting annoyed by yeah. things. So okay. I found out that he didn't like reading in escape rooms <laughs> early on. Right. Yes. Right. I actually do not know when I first saw my first secret door. Hmm. Yeah, I don't remember that either. Uh... Oh, wait, wait. I think I have it here. That would have been my eighth room. What first was your... time. We didn't. Pardon? What was your eighth room? Uh, I it would be a spoiler. Oh, okay, so it's still say. open. It's okay. still open. Yes. Okay. Um, is any of these? And it wasn't really a secret door because it didn't open on its own. Oh, I remember now. One of the coolest secret doors I saw was from Liberty Squad at Breakout. Oh uh, yeah, mm. that was a good room. I never got a chance to play. Oh, it. you never did. No, that was like one of the best rooms out oh, there back in yep. the day. Yeah. yeah, that was. I remember you telling me about it, and me trying to get there, and <laughs> all my friends are flaky. So like, <laughs> in fact, we even solved it. That was actually one of the rooms that we solved. I did it with my friends and so the one the the ones that were all, we were all male and all fought alike same mm. demographic mm-hmm. i think that was one of the very first escape rooms we actually solved on our own hmm. after uh 15 games together okay maybe 10 we couldn't solve anything on our own anyway we are ram- we're just starting to list off oh rooms yeah now, so we should all probably games, wrap it up tried, but you know it's uh that's a fun that's a fun question. Thank you so much, Sally. It's just a little nostalgic 
romp yep. through mm-hmm. the escape room desires. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we should end this now? Yes. Okay. Room Escape Davis is brought to you by Inverse Genius. You can go to inversegenius.com to find other fun podcasts just like this one. You can also go to our Facebook page and click the like button, or you can email us at roomescapedivas at gmail.com. We love answering questions all the time. Uh, you can also hit the like button on the Facebook page. And if you're using Twitter, please use the hashtag R-E-Divas. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs> I could I finish before Errol could do the spooky thing he was gonna do. What? He just started he just started crawling under the table. Mm. <laughs>